John, the Gospel of John, chapter 14, is our reading this evening. May God bless these wonderful words to our souls and our minds. This is part of the great Olivet Discourse. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you? And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If ye love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another Comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him. For he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments, and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us, and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. 
He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. And the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Live, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If ye love me, ye would rejoice, because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it is come to pass, ye might believe. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. May God bless his word. Our text words this evening you can find in John 14, verses 2 and 3. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be. Also, well, with God's help, we want to consider from these wonderful words the theme, Christ ascending to prepare mansions. And we'll look at two thoughts. First, heavenly mansions prepared for true believers. And second, true believers prepared for heavenly mansions. Heavenly mansions prepared for true believers, true believers prepared for heavenly mansions. Our text tonight, dear church family, is taken from part of the so-called Olivet Discourse that Jesus had over a period of chapters in the Gospel of John with his disciples in the upper room when he met with them to celebrate the Passover, and the Lord's Supper. He had already spoken to them about some serious matters. He had predicted Peter would deny him, and Judas would betray him. But the most startling thing of all was that he himself will be leaving them. I will leave you, he says. Now, if you're a true believer... The thought of Jesus leaving you is overwhelming. It's probably one of the most painful thoughts that could enter your mind. Samuel Rutherford once said, The absence of God is hell for the believer. If you're a true believer, you can't live without God. You can't function without His presence. 
And so the disciples, understandably, are dejected at this point, at this juncture, at the beginning of chapter 14. And Jesus doesn't reprimand them for their sorrow, but he points them to a solution for their discouragements. And that's why these opening verses that predict his ascension are most encouraging, most uplifting. So he begins the chapter by saying, you believe in God, believe also in me. Now, of course, they they believed in God, and of course, they believed in, in Jesus. But what Jesus is saying is, even though I'm going to leave you, you must trust me that when I say I'm going to leave you, I will also fulfill my promise that I will send another comforter and all things will turn out well. It will be good for you that I go away. And so you must believe in me as fully as you believe in God, as fully as you believe the Father is God and the Spirit is God, I will take care of you as God from the right hand of the Father. I will comfort you. I will not leave you orphans. I will send my Spirit to you, the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And so in essence, in this chapter of the Gospel of John, Jesus is saying two things that seem contradictory. He's saying, I will leave you and I will never leave you. I will leave you physically, but I will never leave you ultimately. And this is incredibly encouraging, particularly in this, these highlight verses of our text tonight, two and three. In my Father's house are many mansions, that is, many rooms. There's, there's many places. There's never a no vacancy sign in this heavenly hotel, so to speak. This heavenly abode. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to do good things for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I'll receive you to myself. Because my goal is that where I am, there you might be also forever. You can't get much more encouraging than that. And that's exactly what the disciples needed to hear. That's exactly what every believer wants to hear. That he or she will be with Jesus. In fact, even a beginner in grace already has enough maturity to have that desire. Even a thief on the cross, just one moment after he was saved, cried out, Lord, remember me when... Thou comest into thy kingdom. And you remember what Jesus said. Thou shalt be with me. Verily, verily, I say unto you. Even today, thou shalt be with me in paradise, in the heavenly Canaan. And you see, that's that's heaven. That's heaven for the heart of the believer as well. It's everything to be with Christ. This is the beauty of ascension. We're not the poorer for Jesus going to heaven, but we are the richer. Thomas Goodwin, the Puritan, wrote a beautiful book called Christ's Beautiful Heart. 
in heaven towards sinners on earth. And the whole point of the book is to convince us that it's a blessing for Jesus to ascend into heaven because from heaven he sends his spirit to fill every believer across the entire globe. And that through that filling of his own spirit, there will be sweet communion with him and a more glorious, robust spiritual life than there ever could have been had he only been remaining on earth at one particular place. And so his heart isn't diminished towards sinners, even though physically he's far away. But his heart is enlarged through his spirit to his people everywhere. When I was in college many years ago, Western Michigan University in Kalamazoo, I had a professor who said, Ascension is a Protestant professor, actually. Ascension makes no sense whatsoever. Why would God give a religion in which he's a departing God and leaves his people? It makes no sense at all, he said. And that's why the world makes very little of ascension. The world can't understand ascension. And sadly, many in the church don't understand ascension either. Church is nearly full on Good Friday. It's uh, full on Christmas. It's overflowing on Easter. Well, in ascension, it's a bit less, isn't it? Most of the time. Because in ascension, most people don't realize how valuable Jesus' continuing progressive work in his great historic acts of redemption from the Father's right hand, truly is. And they don't understand how incredibly important his constant intercession at the Father's right hand for every believer is for every believer. Think about it this way. Isn't it wonderful when people remember you? When they remember you in prayer, especially. John Newton once said, My best friends in this life are those who lisp my worthless name in the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. And I'm sure you feel that way too. When people genuinely say to you, I am praying for you every day, they're your best friends. Well, your very best friend your believer really is Jesus because he's praying for you not just every day but every single second he ever lives to make intercession for you he went to heaven to prepare heaven and to prepare you for that heaven by a constant constant intercession for all his people corporately and for every one of them individually and that is stupendously amazing I'm going to heaven, he says. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be the forerunner of your homecoming to bring you home to be with me forever. I'm going to prepare a home for you. I'm going to make it ready for you. Then I'm going to come back and I'm going to bring you to be with me where I am. In my father's house are many mansions. It's significant, don't you think, that Jesus is the first person in the Bible 
to call heaven my Father's house. He said earlier to the merchants in the temple, you've made use, you've made the, the father of my, the house of my father a house of merchandise. People were doing business there and profiting from it. But here again he uses the same term, the father's house, but now he means the house of heaven. This is my home. It's my father's home. Heaven itself. And because you're adopted into my father's family through me, the elder brother, I'm going to bring you, my, my brothers and my sisters, I'm going to bring you into my father's house. Heaven is God's house. Psalm 113 says, Who is like unto the Lord our God, who dwelleth on high? Psalm 123, Unto thee lift up mine eyes, O thou that dwellest in the heavens. Psalm 11, the Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. Heaven is the house where God dwells with His family. So Jesus is saying here, I'm going home to prepare that home for you. And you, I'm coming for you, dear believer, and bring you back home to be with me, to be with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit forever. And ever. Now, this word house or home is very important here. A house indicates stability, permanence, something abiding. There's an implicit allusion here in this context to the contrast between the tents in which Israelites lived during their wilderness journey and the more fixed abodes that they established when they received homes from God in the land of Canaan. After that long journey in tents, their homes became in their minds a type of the more permanent fixture of the great temple of Jerusalem. That was the house of God on earth. The temple. The place where God would especially dwell and reveal himself in the midst of the people of Israel, surrounding in their homes. But even that temple was not eternal. The temple, in turn, was a shadow of the new heavenly Jerusalem that would come down one day as a bride adorned for her husband, an eternal dwelling place that would never decay, never disintegrate, the permanent dwelling of God in heaven. And so Jesus is saying, I'm going to that everlasting home. That only home in the whole world that doesn't decay. That has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. That permanent place. And so Jesus is making a statement here of not only the stability of heaven as an undecayable place, irreparable place, but to the magnitude of this place. You know, Solomon's temple, with which Israel was very familiar, of course, was a great place. There were so many rooms in that temple. But now it's as if Jesus says, just as in Solomon's temple, there were so many rooms, and in his palace, so many rooms. So in my Father's house, 
There will be so many rooms as well. Yes, many, many more rooms. He calls them mansions. But in the original, it doesn't mean that everyone's going to live in a $20 million home isolated by themselves. No, it just means just well-prepared rooms. There's room for every kind of sinner in heaven. Room for the poor and the rich. Room for, 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 for different classes in society, different people groups. Every nation, every tongue. There is always bread enough and to spare in my Father's house. There's always more room in my Father's house. My Father's house is better than the palace of Solomon. Better than the temple of Jerusalem. There's rooms there for everyone in my family. Room for the crown prince, Jesus Christ. Room for all my brothers and sisters. Room for everyone who truly believes in me alone for salvation. Room for the little ones who trust in me. I go to prepare a place for you. And so that you can be taken up theologically in both the singular and the plural. I prepare a room for a multitude no man can number. But I also prepare a room for each and for every one personally. This is the beauty of Jesus in his infinite capacity and glory. He can remember millions of his people at once. And he remembers them each individually at the same time. And that's a beautiful thing. Maybe, boys and girls, you've been in a big crowd sometime. And the crowd was so big and you felt so small. You felt like the crowd swallowed you up. You wondered what you were doing there. But Jesus says, don't worry. I have a place for you. I have a place for my little ones. My unnoticed ones. I have a place for everyone. In the midst of quantity in glory, I will not abandon you individually in glory. And church here on earth is meant to be something like that. Just a little shadow of it. We gather tonight with a few hundred people here. It's wonderful to gather corporately, isn't it? But there's also a dimension, not only of corporate worship, but individual worship. Every one of you hears the Word of God just for yourself. And some of the best sermons in our lives are those sermons where the minister falls away and the people fall away. And you walk out of church and you say, it was as if God and I were there alone. And he communed with me from heavenly places. You see, in my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. Many quantity. You can also be personal. It's a personal Savior. The one in the many. The one in the many is a, is a familiar biblical theme. The one in the many meet in Jesus Christ. He's got a big heart for the many. He's got a big heart for the one. I go to prepare a place for you corporately. Praise be to God. We'll be with millions of believers. I go to you to prepare a place for you individually. Praise be to God. We'll have a personal relationship with Christ in heaven. Now we don't know exactly. What all of this means, of course, that he's going to prepare heaven for us. 
And we don't need to understand all of that. All we know is it'll be wonderfully personal. And it'll be wonderfully corporate. And it will all center on Jesus. And that's about all we need to know. Jesus is making everything ready. It'll be savory. It'll be full. It'll be rich. It'll be personal to be with him. You know, Reverend Arnold Vergunst, who most of you know, had a father, Reverend Ari Vergunst, who uh, died in the Kalamazoo NRC uh, while he was there in in that pastorate there in, I think, early 1980s. But he told me a story once when he served out in Corsica, South Dakota. That was quite interesting. He said, as a young preacher, he was only in his 20s then, he he came home from church one night and um, had, a, had a meal, or one afternoon, had a meal in one of his parishioners' homes. And uh, the lady asked him an interesting question. She said, uh, how do you prepare sermons? Well, Reverend Vergenz told me, he said to her, uh, she said, well, she also said, I enjoy your sermons very much. How do you prepare sermons? And he said, well, let's talk about it this way. I enjoy the meal you're serving me right now very much. But I really don't need to know how you made it. That's, that's your business. And I'm not really going to tell you how I make sermons. I just want you to enjoy them. That's, that's the important thing. And you know, something like that. We're curious about heaven, aren't we? There'll be animals there, and we have all kinds of questions. And there's a lot we don't know. But there's a lot we do know as well. And we do know the main things. We do know that heaven will be a perfect place, a perfect world of love, perfect love among all the saints, with the angels, with the triune God, centered upon Jesus, the Lamb in the midst, And that we will enjoy it perfectly. Perfect worship. Perfect activities. That's all we need to know. So we can enjoy the anticipatory feasting in glory. Without having to know all the details of how Jesus prepared the feast to make it ready. He just says, come friend. And enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. It's God's business how he makes all the details ready. But he will make it all ready. How will he do that? Well, again, we don't know all the details. But I think we can think of it this way. How did God make the first creation ready? He created it in six days. He gave us one page in the Bible. Genesis 1, well, Genesis 2 as well. Two chapters. Explaining how he created all things. There's a lot of detail there, but there's also a lot of things he doesn't tell us. But he he created everything and then created man, you and me, on the sixth day. And all of creation was designed for the crown of creation, which was man. And then he placed man in the midst of the Garden of Eden. In a prepared place, 
And it's something like that, you see, in recreation. When we are born again, we are being prepared for that great heavenly palace that will be entirely ready on the day of judgment to receive all the redeemed soul and body as the crown and apex of Christ's saving work and will enter into glory into a recreated heaven and a recreated earth already for us, wonderfully prepared by Jesus. And that will be the real heavenly Canaan. So not only will it be parallel with the Garden of Eden, and much better, but it will also be parallel with the earthly Canaan. You see, God did the same thing, didn't he, with the earthly Canaan for Israel. Everything was prepared for them. He brought them into Canaan. And what does Deuteronomy 6 say? It shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he swear unto thy fathers to give thee great and goodly cities, which thou buildest not. Notice the cities are all prepared for them. And houses filled with good things which thou fillest not. And wells digged which thou diggest not. Vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not. When thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware lest thou forget the Lord. So God says, I'm going to prepare the earthly Canaan for you as a type of the heavenly Canaan, and you're going to come in, and it's all going to be prepared with homes and a country and trees and food that you didn't prepare, but I'm going to do it all. And so what Jesus is saying here, and I want you to grasp this, this is important. As I prepared the earthly garden for man, as I prepared the earthly land of Canaan for my chosen Israel, even more will I perfectly prepare in an irreversible, irrevocable way the land of the heavenly Canaan for you, true believer, and I'm going now to prepare a place for you. A perfect place. And you'll lack nothing there. And it's all Grace by which I save you. It's grace by which I will prepare a place for you. And it's grace that I'm going to come and take you back to be with me where I am forever and ever. It is all free grace. You haven't merited one stitch of that preparation. I will do it all. I go to prepare a place for you. Now it's remarkable that Jesus speaks of this prepared place he's going to make before Calvary. Jesus, knowing all things that should come upon him, we read later in John 18, went forth. Now this is fascinating. You see, here already in the Olivet Discourse, Jesus is saying something like this, between the lines. I know all the suffering I'm going to go through, all the agony, but I'm going to go forth. I'm still going to go forth because I anticipate the glory as well. And I yearn not only to suffer and die for you, but I yearn to go to heaven for you, to prepare a place there for you. And I yearn for the great day when I will come again to you as my own and to bring you back into the land of Beulah, the heavenly Canaan, forever. So I'm not just going to the cross. But I know that I'm going beyond the cross. I'm going through the empty tomb. I'm going to be raised again. I'm on my way. I'm on my way to my homecoming. And to your homecoming. 
I'm going to my father and your father, he says to Mary. I'm going back home. I'm going to heaven. Not as I've come. I'm not going back empty-handed. I came by myself, as it were. But I'm going back with a whole believing church organically in my loins. I'm going back as a great high priest to prepare a place for you. This is Jesus' anticipatory faith. And this is what also gives him strength to go forward into the furnace of affliction, into the Garden of Gethsemane, into Pilate's Hall, Gabbatha, and into Golgotha. You see, my friends, Jesus is saying, I see all my my mediatorial work of humiliation. I see it all done already in my mind. I see it all finished. And I, I see myself ascending. I see myself going to prepare a place for you. So, what's the conclusion? Let not your heart be troubled. I will take care of you in every way. My care for you is a pervasive care. You just rest. You just rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ, dear child of God. Your Lord reigns, and He's in heaven now. He's at the right hand of the Father now. He's there already for you. He's the firstborn among many brethren, and He will bring His brothers and sisters behind Him to glory. He's preparing everything. There'll be nothing you have to adjust if you're a believer when you get to heaven. Nothing you'll have to clean up. Nothing you'll have to put away. Nothing you'll have to accomplish. It will be totally prepared. Now, it's not always the best way for a husband to invite people over to his home when he hasn't consulted with his wife first. Uh, My wife is pretty gracious that way, and I've, I've done that, quite frankly, a few times in the past where just met someone here at church and a visitor from another place. And I said, well, why, why didn't you come over tonight? And then I quickly go to my wife and say, you know, I just invited some people over. Oh, well, well let, let's go home then right away and let's get everything ready. Because we want, when the guests come, we want everybody who's coming to our home to feel when they walk in the door that everything's prepared. The food's prepared. The room is clean. We want, to, we want to treat them with respect. We want to treat them with honor. You have the same with your guests, don't you? You don't, want, you don't want them to lack anything. This is what Jesus is saying. I'm going to prepare heaven for you perfectly. I'm a perfect God. There's, there's going to be no shortcomings. You will have perfect joy and perfect love in a world of love. Nothing will be lacking. All your senses will be involved. The sense of sight and touch and hearing and smell and taste. It will all be aroused to enter into the joy of our Lord. I go to prepare a place for you. And when I go, I'm going to come again. And I'm going to make you, which is my second thought, a prepared people for that prepared place. I'm going to take you home as a prepared people. I'm going to empty you of all your own righteousness. I'm going to make you hate sin and bring you to repentance and give you the gift of faith to believe in me alone for salvation. I'm going to give you sweet communion with me. I'm going to give you 
foretaste of heaven. I'm going to make you homesick for glory. I'm going to heaven to send my spirit to make you long for the day when your mortality shall put on immortality and your corruption shall put on incorruption. I'm going to, I'm going to make times in your life where you cry out, Oh Lord Jesus, come quickly. I'm going to make you a prepared people for that prepared place. Now that preparation doesn't happen in a day, does it? It's a, it's a lifelong process. I'm going to be working in you. Dear child of God, Jesus is saying, from the moment of your regeneration, shaping you, molding you, preparing you, conforming you to the image of myself, convicting you of sin, preparing you for the land of glory. So most of the rest of this chapter is really hinting at all of that. I'm going to send you the comforter. I won't leave you alone, orphanless. And he'll work in you. He'll work in you. He'll convict you and empty you and justify you through faith. And so your state with me will be a state of life, a state of peace, through justification, by faith. But I won't be done then. I'm going to sanctify you. I'm going to make you holy for a holy place. I'm going to purify you by the Spirit of Christ. I'm going to do that by weaning you from worldly things and ripening you for heavenly things. I'm going to give you new tastes and new loves and new aspirations and new attitudes towards sin and new attitudes towards Christ and new attitudes towards glory, new attitudes towards this world and the world to come and a new love for the holy things of God. I'm going to bring you into a holy war within you between sin and righteousness. I'm going to make those two things antithetical in you. I'm going to make you haters of sin and lovers of righteousness. I'm going to make you fall in love with my holy day. I'm going to bring you up to the house of God and feed you there in such a way that you're going to say, this is my favorite place to be on earth. This is a foretaste of heaven. I long for the day of everlasting bliss in everlasting worship. I'm going to make the house of God, the Word of God, your best home here on earth. But I'm still going to keep you and make you long for the heavenly home. I'm going to help you to say experientially here, the Lord is our dwelling place. The Lord is our home, literally in Hebrew, in all generations. I'm going to make you feel comfortable with me is your only hope and your only salvation. To feel sweetness, familiarity, holy familiarity at my throne of grace. And then I'm going to bring you to that place where forever you will bask in my presence and rejoice and bathe in my glory. I'm going to make things well for you. Home. I'll make you at home with me here below even as I'll make you long more and more for a perfect, eternal home to be with me perfectly sin-free in Emmanuel's land. And so the holy warfare goes on. And the conflict with sin goes on. And the raging, with tossed with tempest moments of grappling with the old nature that wants to regain the upper hand goes on. And we feel so unprepared, don't we? Unprepared sometimes for church. Unprepared for worship. Unprepared for the Lord's Supper. Unprepared for the things of God. So out of sorts. And, and, and the devil 
attacks us for it and says, how is it possible that you could be a child of God with such blasphemous thoughts, such wicked thoughts in your mind, such secular words on your lips? Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. But even that battle, you see, is an evidence that we are being prepared for glory. Paying lip service to the doctrines of grace and confessing assurance of faith in themselves are not evidences of grace. But it's when we experience these things, sorrow for sin, hope in the Lord, pleadings upon His mercy, faith looking to Christ crucified, faith looking for sanctification in Christ exalted. These are the soul exercises that the Spirit works in us to prepare us for a holy heaven, to make us a holy people here on earth. And in all these things, you see, what do we learn preeminently? We learn that we can't give ourselves any holiness. We learn that we can never, ever trust in ourselves. We learn it is Christ who prepares us by His Holy Spirit for heaven. He prepares heaven for us, even as He prepares us for heaven. That's what the text says. My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Jesus prepares us through His suffering, through His death, through His resurrection, through His ascension, through the sending of His Spirit on Pentecost, all by His Spirit, all by His ongoing ministry now from heaven. He works by means of His Spirit and His servants and His Word and all His means of grace and the perseverance of the saints, holding us, keeping us, guiding us, molding us. So we're never outside of His high priestly eye from the right hand of the Father. And we're never out of His high priestly heart from the right hand of the Father. And we're never cast off His high priestly shoulders from the right hand of the Father. And we're always engraven in His high priestly hands at the right hand of the Father. Oh, the beautiful heart of Christ in heaven to us on earth. Oh yes, He's left us physically but He's not left us in His big heart. And that's all important. He abides with us, says our catechism so beautifully, with His Godhead, His majesty, His grace, and His Spirit. And what is He doing? Well, it's like a guitar. He's fitting and tuning every string in our lives to be on tune for the heavenly abode that is coming. So that every string is untuned from this world and tuned for glory and prepared to be with Christ. And so in His present ministry from heaven, He's ministering to you. He's bringing you through this affliction and that affliction to sanctify you, to make you more holy, to ripen you, and to give you persevering grace through His persevering grace with you, guarding you, preserving you, directing you, making you more needy, making you more dependent on Him all the way to glory. What a wonderful thing the Gospel is. 
the king of the creation, the king of this vast universe, not only came to suffer and die for you, but to ascend into heaven, to minister to you as prophet, priest, and king, to prepare you for the place he's prepared for you. True believers are prepared by Christ's Spirit for a prepared place. And they learn to cry out in this life, would it be, could it be all the time, Lord, whom have I in heaven but Thee? And there is none on earth that I desire beside Thee. And so through the new birth, through faith, through justification, sanctification, perseverance, and so on, Jesus prepares us for glory. And then he comes. And he takes us home. Where we see through a glass no more darkly. But then see him face to face. Like we've never seen him before. He comes so near. At moments in this life. But in the life to come. He will always be near. He'll always be full. We'll always be able to gaze upon him face-to-face. Samuel Rutherford said, when Christ comes, he stays not long here on this earth, but certainly the blowing of his breath upon a poor soul is already heaven upon earth. And he blows with his breath of his word upon your conscience, and you commune with him here, even by moments. He makes you long for something better, doesn't he? for that uninterrupted communion in glory forever. So that we long to be with Him and we long to see Him face to face forever and ever and ever. To be past all the cloudiness and all the interruptions of our faith and all the distractions by this world and all the enticements of Satan and all the interruptions of our dastardly sin. Mr. Standfast in Pilgrim's Progress. What an example he is of this. Maybe you remember him, boys and girls. He's about to die. And just before he dies, he makes this remarkable statement. He says, I am going nigh. I am going now to see that head that was crowned with thorns. And that face that was spat upon for me. I have formerly lived by hearsay and by faith. But now I go where I shall live by sight. When I shall be with him in his company. In whom I delight myself forever. I'm coming again. And I'm going to take you home. Oh, keep courage. Keep courage, dear believer. He shall take you to be with him where He is, to be like Him. That's amazing. It's almost too good to be true. But it is true. It's His Word. I will do it. I will fulfill it. Robert Murray McShane put it this way, When I see Thee as Thou art on that great day, then, Lord, shall I fully know, and not till then, how much I owe. John Bunyan, when I enter into glory, methinks I shall swoon away at the wonder of the sight of my Savior's face. Oh, to see Him and to be with Him and to embrace Him. And let me quote Samuel Rutherford once more. He's so good. 
when he writes in his letters about heaven, he wrote to Lady Kenyon, The bride taketh not by one thousand degrees so much delight in her wedding garment as she doth in her bridegroom. So we in the life to come shall not be so much affected by the glory that goes on around about us as we are with the bridegroom's joyful face and presence. The bride eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glory, but at my King of grace. I'm coming again. And I'm taking you home to your real home. Well, let me, let me close this sermon with um, three, three applications. The first is this. We ought to spend much more time in heavenly places when we're on earth than we do now. We're far too secular, far too caught up with worldliness, far too caught up with the carnality of our age, too far from God too often. Our tent stakes are far too deep in the soil of this earth. And we forget that we're just renters here and our home Our real home is in heaven. We ought to be thinking much more about it. We ought to be meditating, preparing more for it. You know, Charles Spurgeon tells this wonderful story of a young prince who one day stole into his father's bedroom and put on his father's crown. And a courtier saw it. And he went to the boy's father, the young prince's father. And he said, I caught your son putting on your crown way too early. And the courtier, of course, thought that maybe the young prince was going to stage a coup or something to upstage his father. But his father said, no, 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 I'm not upset. I'm not upset. He's going to be crowned one day. He's just practicing for the day of his transition. And then Spurgeon went on to say this. Not so, children of God, is your heavenly Father. He delights when you try on His crown. He delights when you think more heavenly. And you long more for heavenly places. Your Father won't mind. Go ahead. Try on the crown as often as you can. For we ought to sit far more in heavenly places than we do. Oh, to be more like Richard Sibbs, of whom it was said, of that blessed man, let this just phrase be given, that heaven was in him before he was in heaven. But secondly, I think we ought to learn from this wonderful text also, not to be overly fearful of dying. Yes, death is a last enemy. Yes, it is the king of terrors. But God will give dying grace to His people when the dying hour comes. And if we're in Christ, the sting is removed. And the New England Puritan John Cotton came to his deathbed and his family was gathered around. He looked at them and said, Is this all there is to dying? I've feared it so often. But in my Savior, the sting is gone. Death is a passageway to the welcome home of heaven, to the heavenly mansion. We should anticipate it with eagerness. One of the old Puritans said, 
Even an old, tired horse quickens his pace when he reaches the lane of his own home. So as we grow older, we ought to quicken our pace and long to be with Jesus forever. And thirdly, finally, let us always remember that there's no way to heaven apart from Jesus. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. He says in verse 6, He's the be-all, the end-all of heaven. You can't go to heaven without Jesus. And you can't get to Jesus without repenting of your sin and believing in Him alone for salvation. And if you don't know that, if you die unconverted, you'll have the worst place in hell for having had a seat or a place in God's house in this world. Just as there are many different chairs in heaven, many different kinds of people in heaven, many different degrees of honor in heaven, so there are various abodes and places or degrees of torment and misery in hell. But they're all bad. They're all as bad as heaven is good. Ecclesiastes 8 verse 10 says, So I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the place of the holy. They were forgotten in the city where they had so done. My dear friend, you don't get saved just by coming to church. You need to have the Word of God prepare you by the Spirit of God from the ascended Christ for glory. If you were to die tonight, are you prepared for heaven? Are you unprepared? Because you don't know the Son of God. It's one or the other. It's one or the other. Flee to this only Savior now and cry out to Him, Save me, or I perish. Prepare heaven for me and prepare me for heaven that I may forever be with the ascended Lord of glory. Amen. Great God of heaven, please bless this word tonight. May it encourage thy people and may it arrest the unsaved. And may the riches of glory make our hearts beat the more within our anticipated future if we are in Christ. Oh, to know him and be with him and love him and praise him in perfection, sin-free, forever and ever and ever. Lord God, hasten the day when this mortality shall put an immortality, this corruption in corruption, and will ever be with thee. In Jesus' name, amen.